Well, good afternoon to you. This is Alan Seymour, your host here on All In Sports Talk, the Future of Sport show on um, Wednesday uh, next week. And I look forward to being able to introduce all my guests. My first guest is Dan Haddard from Octagon. Dan, just tell us a little bit about how you started in the role that you've got at the moment. Well, thanks, Alan. Yeah, so I've been Octagon approaching eight years now. Um, so I've seen, seen a lot of change and my role's changed over time. Um, I guess, like most people uh, who enter the sports industry, uh, I came in and worked... Um, on the marketing side, so I came into Octagon um, and worked across a number of our, our brand clients, um, who sponsors of, of, a, of a range of different clubs, events, tournaments, etc. So I came in and started working on um, a client of ours called Empower, who are a, a, a large utilities company. Uh, they at the time were um, the main sponsors of, of the football league um, in England, um, which are uh, all the levels of professional football um, outside of the Premier League. And, and I worked. Um, on the activation of that sponsorship, so running events, running marketing programs, um, maintaining the relationship with the client, with with the rights holder, um, and I did that for a number of years. Um, then, as I learned uh, learned more about the industry and, and about sports marketing in general, I, I decided that where my my passion uh, within this industry lay was more on the strategic side. So. Right. Um, what I mean by that is rather than, than the marketing and activation side of sponsorship, the, the, um, the strategy side of actually working with a brand to identify um, how they should be investing their money within sports marketing. So whether that is sponsorship um, or whether that is uh, content partnerships or media buying or, or talent, um, I transitioned into that role of, of helping brands navigate the landscape and, and identify uh, the, the best investments uh, based on their, their brand and business objectives. So um, but that's kind of how my role has changed. I, I also actually work now as well on uh, consulting rights holders on their commercial strategy. So um, although we don't do any sponsorship sales, we also advise um, rights holders across, across a, a number of different sports on how uh, they can optimise their commercial offering um, using the knowledge, our knowledge of, of what brands um, really desire from, from their sports marketing properties. I mean, Dan, one of the key, uh, and thanks for a, a very succinct and a very insightful intro, and we can develop some of the, uh, the discussion around some of those key points that you've made. Some of the key things I've already picked up, Dan, on your commentary here is change. And as you know, we've come together for a variety of reasons and we'll probably finish the show talking about our connections via Liverpool Football Club and supporting them through these trials and tribulations at the moment. But I'll part that for the moment. But, but as we go on, change, the changing nature 
of what sport, marketing, management, sponsorship, changing landscape. And it's going to be a key theme of the forthcoming conference that you've kindly involved yourself with some of the students that I'm bringing over to this conference. When we talk about change, I mean, you've made an interesting comment about the strategic uh, approaches you're taking. How important do you think some of those changes are? Think about how much content creation uh, has become very much a, a key part of the strategies that brands and sports properties are using. Give us some little insights, if you could, on that perspective, Dan. It's, it's, it's fundamental, the, the changes that, that, that we see in how we advise clients on their investment within sport. Yeah. So I guess going back, um, going back kind of five years even, so, you know, it's not, not that long ago at all, really the, we, were, we were talking about traditional sponsorship. So um, we were really just looking to identify traditional sponsorship platforms that aligned with, um, you know, our clients' objectives and their, and their, and their brand values their, and their business objectives. So um, it, it was kind of not, I wouldn't say kind of just off-the-shelf um, solutions, but it, it was a much more um, single-minded approach to just considering uh, sponsorship and then letting the kind of the kind of media buying and the media piece and how actually you're going to reach consumers, um, leaving that kind of slightly separate separate to the actual sponsorship piece. Yeah. Um, now it's um, completely um, th those two areas are completely merged. So yeah. you cannot activate a sponsorship. Um, you know, I'm talking for. For, for brands that are really looking for, for you know looking to use sports marketing for, for B2C purposes primarily yeah. I mean I think in a lot of sectors a lot, in a lot of sectors that are more kind of traditional and B2B driven the changes haven't been too um, pronounced I mean obviously you know the ways that, that those kind of brands activate has changed as well but I'd say the, the, the changes are most pronounced when you're when you're looking at brands who are, are really you know B2, B2C brands yeah and, um, the way that you now have to consider sports marketing is, is, is you have to think about actually how that audience you're trying to reach is is uh, consuming sport and, and actually how you're going to reach them. So it means two things. A, it, it means that sponsorship, you know, the value of sponsorship is, is actually, I'd say, because of this um, fragmentation of, of media, is actually growing because there, there's so much... There are, there are so many outlets out there and, and sports fans and people with an interest in sports are receiving um, information, consuming sports in so many different ways. Actually, now, what, what I believe is that one of the key differentiators of sponsorship is the intellectual property that, that, that you are buying into. So the power of association with, a, with an elite football club or a tournament or, or you know, any sports property. Yeah actually gives you the assets that you need to cut through because there's so much out there there's there's so many there's so much content out there there's there's so many opportunities for fans to, to consume sport that actually you need as a brand something that's really going to differentiate you and give give you know your consumers a reason why um why you know your marketing campaign is going to stand out and for sponsorship that means the intellectual property the access to talent the the, the opportunity to create content that 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 is 
derived out of out of that association, that intellectual property becomes more valuable. Um, but then also it means that actually now when we're advising clients, the answer quite often isn't a traditional sponsorship. Yeah. It, it's it's finding you know finding that right creative campaign and um, the best distribution strategy for that. So you know I think. Talent, you know, talent partnerships now uh, have become so much more powerful than, than they were previously because of um, the way that you can use um, that talents, um, that talents uh, media network, um, and also, um, you know, how you can create content with them to really stand out. So, so now we're not necessarily talking about just traditional sponsorship. We're talking about a creative idea and the best assets. To, to amplify that and, and actually the distribution strategy and then also in sponsorship as well I mean it, it all breaks down to actually how um, the rights that you negotiate with into a sponsorship package are, are fundamentally changed and that actually um, it's not, not so much all about traditional um, media exposure inventory or, or around tickets, hospitality and those kind of marketing rights um, the most important thing is to actually ensure that a sponsorship contract that gives you the right to activate those creative ideas in, in, in the best possible way. I mean, a lot of what you said, I mean, it, it's not only clearly music to my ears, because I think we're very much in lots of the areas that we both cross over into, sport, education, communication, and, and lots of other areas. I think what you've said, though, is absolutely fundamental, not just for the industry as it is today, but perhaps more importantly what the industry is going forward and is likely to be. And that transition... I mean, it, it's really going at such a great pace, I think, as you uh, quite rightly uh, suggest. And I think, you know, standout now is probably extremely more important than ever it was. And that uniqueness. And, you know, I remember teaching quite often in my early days in university sports marketing students about branding and, and using um, the um, the acronyms that I use were actually POP and POD, point of parity and point of difference. And I think this distinctiveness and, and differentiation is probably more appropriate than probably lots of major sectors, particularly in the business to, commu to consumer marketplace, where fans have now voice, uh, where fans clearly need to be recognised. But at the same time, you know, you, you, you really do need to create content that is effective. Can I kind of move the, uh, it's not such as much an interview as a, 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 as a kind of sharing of thoughts and ideas at the moment with you, Dan. I know Octagon is one of the foremost world global agencies in its field. And as we're going to be talking at the conference uh, later next month at the University of Worcester, the, the theme is global sport business and global sport business education. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about where Octagon sits globally, maybe some, um, um, if, if it's appropriate, it's for you to, to, to make that decision, maybe to, to talk about some of the kind of work that you do globally, people who you've got on your books, as it were, or any of the things that distinctively uh, makes you know, makes Octagon uh, the great agency that it, it, that it is, Dan. Yeah, of course. So, um, I guess the first important uh, point to make is that Octagon is 
is part of the Interpublic Group, uh, so okay. one of the largest, um, one of the largest networks of, of marketing and advertising agencies globally. So you're putting that kind of on par with with WPP yeah. and Publicis and um, and, the, and the likes of those. So under the IPG umbrella there sit a multitude of different uh, agencies. So Octagon is the sports marketing specialist arm of IPG, the yeah. only sports marketing um, business under the I- IPG umbrella. Um, but what the IPG network allows us to do is tap into uh, our sister agencies who are specialists in their own fields. So, for instance, um, you know, McCann, uh, global leaders in advertising, uh, UM and, and IPG media brands in, in, in media buying and media planning, future brands in branding, Webersham with PR, etc. So we sit as, uh, as the sports marketing arm of a, of a, of a huge network of agencies which um, provides a lot of collaboration opportunities and allows us to tap into different specialists as and when needed, which gives a great added uh, value added to, to our clients. Um, then in terms of Octagon, I mean, there are very few truly global sports marketing agencies. And to be a global sports marketing agency, you, you, you need to have physical presence in a multitude of markets and you need to have local market specialists because, um, you know, although sport is, is global by its very nature, there are a lot of different local market intricacies and, and also it's a very relationship driven industry so yeah. you need to have those people in local markets who have who have those uh, special relationships uh, within the industry so um, Octagon how it's how it's how it's kind of broken down is is North America is, is, is still the largest market and is where the, the, the global headquarters is um, in, in Connecticut, and there's, there's offices all around the U.S., but um, the kind of base uh, is the mothership, as so to speak, is in Connecticut. Um, and then we have a, a number of, of large um, regional offices. So where I where I am in London um, is the European headquarters. Um, we also in Europe have offices, two offices in, in Germany, one in France, an office in Russia, Turkey. Um, so, and, and we tend to build out the network around major sporting events. So, uh, Japan obviously is, is 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 now a focus where we've we're, where we're building an office there with the Olympics and Rugby World Cup coming up. Brazil, we we kind of ramped up our operations there around the FIFA World Cup. South Africa, the same. So, um, the business tends to uh, align with with kind of major sporting events and developments in, in sports marketing. So, you know, China's becoming more of a focus, obviously. Um, our our, our um, Asian APAC headquarters in Singapore, that office has grown immensely. I was out there a couple of months ago, and uh, the amount of work coming out of that office is growing and growing. Large office in Australia. So you get the picture. I mean, we're, we're a global company, um, but we have physical presence in, in all the key um, sports market. So that allows us to do two things. It allows us to have um, huge global clients like MasterCards where we will run their global sports marketing strategies because you know we, we can run it centrally. Uh, we can have we can run it centrally, but also have specialists in 
you know, mass, specialist MasterCard account teams and all our officers who can then go and activate local programs. So, you know, we have a team of, 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 of over 10 people in the UK working on MasterCard in the US. It's, you know, it's, it's more than that. We have a team in Australia, a team in Singapore. So that kind of global reach allows us to have global clients and, and with MasterCard, you know, activate their UEFA Champions League sponsorship um, and, and, and all their other global programs. Uh, but also it allows us to have very strong um, local market clients as well. So in the UK, for instance, uh, Mars would be a good example of that, who are a, a big sponsor of the England national team. Um, so, you know, we have the flexibility of having both local market clients um, and big global clients. And so, and, and, you know, the other thing about a big agency network is that, you know, there's a lot of sharing of information. And, and just because, you know, I'm in, in London and I, I have colleagues in the US, I mean, I, I collaborate with them on a daily basis. The same with our team in, in, in kind of Asia. So really making sure that we use local market experts to, to, to really uh, give our clients the best advice. Um, and, and in terms of the nature of the work, it really is... It ranges hugely, as I said. The, the core business is is day is you know activation of sponsorship for our clients. So daily activation, coming up with sports marketing campaigns and executing them. Um, we also now have a, a big creative department, so we're, we're kind of very much involved in big creative ideas and campaign planning. And then on my side, it's it's strategy and insight. So all the planning of, of investment, measurement, um, portfolio analysis. You know, re contract renewals, contract negotiations, um, research, a lot of fan research, a lot of, a lot of kind of, um, you know, consumer research. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's hugely varied. I mean, Dan, just it's almost time for using a sporting metaphor of time out here. But uh, the, the information, the insight and... and, and definitely the kind of touch points that I wanted to get out of today's interview, you know, they're flowing out and I really appreciate the insight that you're giving here and, and it clearly as well is absolutely what I've talked about in introduction here and what we're going to be talking about going forward with the students, etc. So I'm going to come on to that, not as a closure, but some summation uh, to today's interview with you, Dan, in a few moments. But just touching on some of the things that you said, again, it's not theoretical here, but quite often in the education to uh, aspiring sports students and in a kind of branding sense we often talk in in academia as it were you know that um, the way a company is organized standardization or non-standardization um, centralization versus decentralization and I'm fascinated by your comment about you're a massive global organization but you have to be local I mean, I think there's a famous brand that uses that, but I won't even touch upon that in a, in, in a broad financial sense, I think it is. But I think it's really important. You made the point that sports business quite often essentially is about relationships and you have to have those local touch points. You have to have that on-the-ground feeling. And I know Dr. Bill Sutton, who's one of my keynote speakers at the conference and who organises Masters the Programme uh, in the University of South Florida, 
is doing with his students and is coming across for the visit because of this changing nature to be able to adapt to different cultures, to different kind of circumstances uh, within the growing field of sport marketing. Can I ask you, I mean, it's not a controversial aspect, but it's something that I peaked on quite a few times in my interviews. That, And I know Octagon quite often is seen rightly so, that they see, as I think you should do, sport as entertainment. Now, that doesn't always sit very comfortably with fans, per se, or maybe with that use of the word traditional. And I know the Americans, if or North Americans particularly, tend to use sport as a vehicle and utilise the entertainment association. What are your views or perspectives on that? either from your own uh, experience, Dan, or maybe from a philosophical point of view, from uh, from maybe Octagon's standpoint? Well, I think it's a very interesting question. I think uh, the one thing that we always try and ensure uh, with our with our brand clients who are involved in sports marketing is, is, is credibility. And I think you have to, you know, there's, you know, Sports, the nature of sports entertainment, uh, you know, is 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 definitely changing. I mean, most most sports are trying uh, to, as much as possible, um, make make slight adjustments to ensure that the younger audiences are going to be as engaged in, with sport in the future as they as as they are, you know, as as kind of you know the older generation are now, and also that sport can, you know, learn from. Uh, other industries that are, that, are, that are kind of capturing youth attention yeah. in a more, most efficient way. So I think you'll always see sports kind of make little tweaks and adjustments. Um, you know, golf is on a massive, massive push to do that at the moment. Cricket, obviously, uh, taking a UK, UK example, has yeah. done very well in that. Um, but I think in terms of, you know, when we're talking about, so, you know, the kind of organisers of the sports will, you know, will kind of constantly be looking at ways of, of tweaking the product to make it um, to make it uh, you know best in class and and, and keep you know because it's all about you know the, the value of sports you know firstly as I said you have to we have to remember that it, it, it's 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 all it's all about the fan without fans there is there is no there is no product for for kind of broadcasters or sponsors in the first place yeah. um, but kind of if you, if you if you kind of take look at that in reverse you know, sports administrators, you know, have to ensure that in 20 years' time they're still going to be able to, to you know, command those audiences and, and, and maintain the maintain the value that that's been built up within within their sport. So there's always going to be a balance to, balance to be struck. Um, I think, you know, the, some of the key things are, you know, the ensuring that the fan experience. You know the kind of true fan experience of going to going to a match or going to a venue and and, and watching live sports r- remains as pure as possible. So yeah. I think you know tampering with that live experience too much is detrimental. Um, and uh, I think you know the intrinsic qualities that have made that have made sport popular don't really need to be tinkered with. And I think. Uh, you, you don't want to over sanitize uh, anything that's happening on the pitch, but this again is where the role of digital comes in yeah. because um, there is so much opportunity 
around everything else, that, around every other part of the live action to, to, to grow it, to, to build in that entertainment factor. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking now at, at, at kind of the likes of the leading European football clubs. And actually, the you, you know, this is where the learnings from the US have come into European sport correct, in a correct. positive way. Because if you look at now what Juventus are doing... Um, with 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 um, Netflix, Man yeah. City, possibly with Amazon, and, and building kind of this, these original content series that kind of focus everything off the pitch and giving you know building the entertainment outside of that ninety minutes, which is is pretty sacred and, and doesn't really need tampering with. That for me is 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 kind of the, the, a really positive development and. What in the US was pioneered by the NFL, the NBA, etc. And I think the kind of entertainment factor of the sport doesn't need to necessarily be around that that 90 minutes on the pitch action, which is high octane, you know, highest passion points. And actually, fans, when they're consuming that live experience, there isn't really a need to kind of tamper with it so much. Um, it's finding the opportunities around that. That live element. That I mean, Dan, if I sorry to interject, if I can come in there because I do think that everything that you've said again is going to have so much resonance. There'll be not opponents, but there'll be differing views, and 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 that clash almost, or that kind of connections that need to be made. Uh, and when my American students come over, that's what they want to hear. I know Dr. Bill Sutton from, so I'm really, really delighted that we've made a connection through yourself an octagon and, and, and Joel there uh, at a base and my students are very very much looking forward to coming and visiting you in octagon before I close off on the issue can I just uh, again touching on some of the things that you've said in response to sport as entertainment again credibility it, it, it's, it's clearly so much important you know I can make a personal view I'm not an NFL fan uh, and if I have to sit there you know for four or five hours and there's so many interactions Interruptions. Um, maybe as Seth Godden famously said about permission marketing, you know, I don't want to be interrupted. And if you start to tamper too much, you know, how much is the ball out of play? How many times do you need to have an ad break? How many times do you go to some other aspect to kind of create a false entertainment scene? And yet I was very, very uh, impressed honoured to um, to go and watch a Tampa Bay Lightning uh, match and the entertainment factor around there was huge, was effective and very, very important in that word that you've used, experience. One of my students actually is doing social media uh, for Somerset County Cricket Club and he made a great point, you know, that the fans of cricket, and you referred to cricket as perhaps a good example here, you know, if it's a three or four day game, you know, and not everyone can get there, you can create other experiences before, during and after to add to the whole value scene that a fan and the fan engagement and the fan experience can take out of that. So I think we've covered a whole range of subjects in our short sadly our short interview today let's put summation, some summations if you were having to give it's the kind of crystal ball 
million dollar question almost starting off again or giving some advice or do's and don'ts and lessons that you've learned because as again I refer to my education my teaching of sport marketing students of the future what kind of key things must they do and and, and how would you potentially advise uh, you know the first rungs on the ladder of a sports marketing career Dan um, well, I guess the most important thing is to go in with an extremely open mind because yeah. there are so many different areas of sports marketing um, that you are not going to fully appreciate and understand until you're inside the industry. So, um, using my own example, kind of when I when I went into, it, I thought I, you know, I thought the marketing side would be the part that appealed most to me but as, once I got into the industry I really got fascinated by the, more of the commercial side and, and the strategic side behind it but again you know there are people that go in and get and and then you know end up doing sales and love love the sales side of it. there's people who love in uh, going and love doing the research side you know so I guess it's going in with an open mindset and um, you will learn very quickly you will see different areas of the industry and then Try and specialise, you know, not too late in your career. So I, I'd say, you know, a couple of years into your career, you, you, you really need to have an idea okay. of, of the area that, that you really want to specialise in within within sports marketing. Because I think uh, the more you specialise, the more you can kind of move up the rungs a bit quicker and, um, you know, become an expert. You know, it's all about becoming an expert. So you, you need to pick... You need to pick the area that, that actually you think you want to kind of focus on and become an expert in, in that area. Can I ask you, just on that, before we close, the word expert has been, uh, sadly, I think in lots of cases, not just uh, perhaps in, in sport, and, and people refer to the acronym ITKs in the know, and sometimes people can put out information uh, I mean, it's banded about as fake news and various other um, uh, comments on the particular aspect. I'm a firm believer, you know, I've had my peers, my mentors. Uh, I'm now still in touch with many of the students who I've taught. And I think that whole family and that whole sharing aspect is very important. But you have to create expertise. You have to rely on expertise. And I see more sharing and more opportunities, particularly through digital, particularly through communication platforms that are, are increasing and changing so the challenge is there clearly to maximize that um, the expertise factor how many people do you rely on in your industry or is this kind of notion that you know expertise sometimes is rather shallow what do you think about this particular philosophy dan Another interesting point. So I'd say the point Alan you made around there being so much information yeah. and resource out there is a very good one. Um, I think it provides a massive opportunity to kind of self-educate yourself in certain topics. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. So let me take a, a very live example: uh, esport, for instance, yeah. where. There's a, a hell of a lot of conversation around there, a lot of clutter of information. You can go to a different seminar or conference every week. Yeah. Um, the only way that you're going to become what I term an expert in that space, so, you know, what I mean by that is that when, you know, 
you're faced with a client situation or someone asks you about it, you can give a very succinct and, and well-educated um, overview and, and opinion on, 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 on kind of that, of that industry. The only way you're going to do that is by, by you know, finding the, 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 those information sources and those people you trust yourself Correct. and spending time to actually proactively try and understand things. So, you know, eSport is an area that, let's say, 12 months ago, even when it was, it was you know, let's say it's been a two-year kind of period now where there's been all this talk and it's, you know, getting, you know, the hype around is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I kind of practically started a year ago saying, right, I want to sit down, I want to understand the landscape, I want to understand different players in the market. Okay, so, you know, right, I'm going to go and talk to a few leading teams. I'm going to go and talk to some of the, you know, the, the league organisers. I'm going to talk to some publishers of, of eSports products. And that's the way, you know, to become an expert is find people. You know, you've, you've got to find people you trust to speak to. Uh, and then you've got to dedicate time yourself to to actually learn. You're not going to, you know, you're not just going to stumble across the information uh, just by browsing Twitter or LinkedIn. You've got to proactively go and, and and dedicate time yourself to learn about something. I mean, Dan. I mean, it's a great way to close an all too short interview, and it is to be continued. It'll be continued when we come and visit Octagon. It'll be continued on November the 13th at the University of Worcester. But I need to re-emphasise and great points you've just made there. You know, the cornerstones of what we do, knowledge, research, preparation, finding things out. But one of the things that has been key to lots of the interviews and kind of almost a, a mantra for uh, education philosophy, and particularly in sport, is don't expect you know, to be told what to do all the time. Think on your feet, the self-education. I mean, we've got the world in front of us with everything that, you know, technology and digital and everything else. And some great people, great, great people in the business. Uh, and I thank you enormously today, Dan. It's been a pleasure. I'm not even going to talk Liverpool. We can do that off air or on another occasion because that would only perhaps lead to some of those things that we've talked about where too many people think they know everything and in fact they know very little. Dan, do you want to give a final thought or uh, comment on any interviews or how people can contact you? Because I'm sure after today's interview, which is going to go out um, Wednesday... Uh, uh, the end. The, the, it's going to go out next Wednesday, which will be, and I'll have to put a date on it, but I'll put that in the interview later. So, any final thoughts, Dan? Yeah, um, you know, I think that one great thing about the sport industry is that people tend to be very open and friendly and, and keep an open door policy. So it's, it's not it's not like other industries where it's hard to get in touch with someone. So I'm always happy for. For anyone uh, looking to get into the industry, just started or, or more experienced, or just wants to chat to get in touch with me, uh, you know, I, uh, I use LinkedIn quite extensively as a as a, as a proper networking tool. So um, you'll be able to find find my details on LinkedIn, um, and you know, contact me there. Right. And I'm, I'm always happy to meet for a coffee or have a Skype or or anything with anyone in the industry. So that's I think that's one of the, the one of the great things about sport industry is that it does tend to be more open door than, than a, lot, a lot of others. Dan, Dan Haddad, Octagon consultant. Great, great insights and interviews. The interview that we've done today will go live November the 1st, Wednesday, 5pm UK time. 
uh, midday Eastern Time USA and, and across the globe on all the various platforms. Dan, I thank you enormously today. Give a big cheer out for the Redmen next time you're with them and we'll talk again very soon. Thanks a lot. Perfect. Thanks, Alan.